So I wonder how many of you were talking about Dunkirk this week. Just wave at me if you were, or somebody was talking to you. So here's the scoop on this Remembrance Day weekend. It's May 1940. The Nazis have just overrun France. 338,000 Allied troops are in retreat, but they're trapped on the beach at Dunkirk. There's no hope of rescuing them in time. The British Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, is gearing up for the annihilation of the British Army, the last defense between England and the Third Reich. But then on Friday, May the 24th, Hitler issues a baffling order to his generals to stop their assault. The German tank division stops just 10 minutes away from Dunkirk. Then the city is enveloped in a strange mist that's a mix of fog and smoke, and the German Luftwaffe can't bomb the soldiers who are like sitting ducks on the beach. Then even stranger, the English Channel, notorious for high winds and choppy waters, is perfectly calm for three days. Historians say like bathwater, which makes it impossible for, or makes it possible for hundreds of small civilian boats to cross the channel and rescue the troops under the fog. Tens of thousands of people literally lined up into Westminster Abbey in London to plead for God's mercy. King George, upon hearing the news of the impending invasion, uh, called the nation to a day of fasting and prayer. Just hours after King George called for prayer, Hitler ordered his tank division to stop. And over the next three days, all 338,000 troops were saved. That generation didn't call it Dunkirk. They called it the miracle of Dunkirk. Wow. We're going to talk today about the synergy between fasting and prayer. The nation was called to fasting and prayer. And what happened? Was it poor strategy on the Germans' part? Um, was it just the Brits' ability to hold on and then soldier through? Or was God doing something? And how do we understand that in the whole scope of God's intervention and his non-intervention on earth? I mean, we can't help but hear that um, and think about the situation today and wonder what is God doing as far as Russia and the Ukraine is concerned? What is God doing as far as the Palestinians and the Israelis are concerned? Um, where are God's people? Um, can we muster such a movement of prayer that God would take notice and do something? Or is God largely not involved? Does your understanding of religion um, sort of say, well, that's just something that happened historically, and there must be a reason for it. Or does your understanding of faith say when we talk to God, um, he really does hear us, and he really does sometimes or often intervene and do something? I'm not going to ask you to tell me what you think. And I'm not going to resolve that. I'm actually going to identify a conundrum. I don't know if conundrum is an Irish word. It's a word I grew up with. It's a good word. It simply means, yeah, I don't know. It's the end of the sermon when you say, but then what, who am I? What are, 
Yeah, others have different ideas. We, we have conundrum. I don't know what the plural of conundrum is, is conundrums. But I want to talk about the conundrum of the coupling that there is in the Bible between fasting and prayer. If you do a concordance search or even you know a, a chat, uh, artificial intelligence search, you will find that there are several times in the Bible when fasting and prayer both are talked about simultaneously in a given situation. That fasting and praying are the two things that have a particular synergy, and the synergy that has been identified is this. You can pray without fasting. You can fast without praying. But when you combine the two, there's a synergistic effect. So synergy is when two entities are combined um, to produce greater than the sum of the two. That when they're both brought, the effect is greater than the sum total of the two. That however much greater it is, how, how much exponentially greater it is, will vary in various situations. But between fasting and praying, there seems to be in the Bible this conundrum that when they are combined, it's more than what praying can avail or what fasting can produce. It's something greater than both. And it's hard to understand what it is and why it is, but we just take note that it is. And this is a very simple talk today. I just want to remind us that when we fast and pray, we have the opportunity to unlock God's presence, God's work, God's rescue, if you like, um, more than any other strategy that we might employ. And that it will be worth us thinking, when should I fast and pray, and to what avail would I fast and pray? So I'm going to talk about some conundrums, just two. Um, the first is the Dunkirk conundrum, that um, we are left at this place in history looking back and saying, hmm, I have a friend, I've told you about him before, he wrote a book called It Just Happened to Happen. And that book is an account of his exploits as a missionary when things happened that in retrospect, others might say they just happened to happen, but statistically, the fact that they happened, the fact that they coincided with each other, that sort of thing, he would say, no, it didn't just happen to happen. Um, it seems way too coincidental that it did happen. So we may come back to Dunkirk and say, it just happened to happen. That's too much of an overstatement. It is a realization that God may well have been listening and God may well have been doing something, and we can't just say it happened to happen. Um, the, the next conundrum that I want to talk about is one that should try to help us get sort of under the skin of this. So the disciples had a conundrum that something did not happen um, because we are told they did not fast and pray. So here's their conundrum. It's in Matthew chapter 17. Here's what we're told. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. 
And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said, Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. Why could we not cast out this demon, asked the disciples. And Jesus rebuked them. He seemed to be overly harsh with them. But he was identifying their conundrum with them, that they prayed that a demon would be exercised, but they couldn't cast the demon out. Uh, and Jesus said, this kind does not go out apart from prayer and fasting. So again, the simple message today is that prayer and fasting have a synergistic effect that the disciples did not discover um, because they were trying in their own strength, even whatever, with whatever authority they thought they had been granted as followers of Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, well, of course you couldn't cast it out because this kind can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. Now, let me just take a moment and have a little aside um, where we'll talk about the fact that a, a demon was identified as being in this, this boy who has a physical disorder or a mental disorder of some kind. And we are filled with questions about other demons today. Um, what do we know about them? So let me just give you a short tutorial, and then maybe for a minute you can call out if you have questions that you've always thought about as far as demons are concerned. Demons do exist, and demons are among us. I would claim that in the West, uh, demons are hiding in plain view. I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, I have been in many places where demonic activity is very evident. Um, I had a special meeting with a witch doctor that was underwhelming. Um, I was expecting to be terrified. I was expecting all kinds of dark evil. And he was just wanting money. He was just wanting people's money, and I was disappointed. I was hoping it would be something that would give me great illustrations. Um, we, for a while, also housed um, an Ethiopian church. And the Ethiopian church were involved oftentimes in deliverance where they would have people who would have demonic outbursts. And in an immigrant, mostly Irish, Protestant church, it was terrifying for these folks to see some of the Ethiopians running and screaming around the building. That's not what we do in Ireland, in Presbyterian you know, order, in all good things. So it was, it was kind of frightening. So what was going on? Why did that not happen in this immigrant Protestant church, but it was happening in this African roots church? I, many, many years ago, had a lovely friend called Kofi Owasu. Kofi was a student at Regent College when I was, and Kofi and Gladys became great friends of, of our family. 
And I remember one time um, asking Kofi to explain to me why we in North America did not have um, manifestations of demons as many cultures would seem to. And he laughed at me. If you've ever heard a deep African laugh, that was the laugh you would have heard. And he said, they don't need to show up as, as uh, manifestations in, in your society because they already are entrenched in the air. They are entrenched in categories of realms of demonic influence who are shaping your society more than individual demons can when they have a manifestation. So we understand that, that as we're told by Paul, that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against these ranks of demons, really, who have authority in the air. So when we wonder why society takes certain moves or certain choices, and we think, is, what, what is the dark force behind all of that? The dark force behind all of that is that there are principalities who have dominion, and so we are called into battle with that, um, rather than perhaps we are often called into battle with individual demons. When we are involved with individual demons, um, so Andrew, within the first two weeks that he was here, um, encountered a young man who was demonized, was afflicted by a demon, and he was granted release by, by Andrew's caring for him. Um, it was a bad introduction to Main Street. They were going to have demons coming to visit every day. But we do we experience that, and, and we are ready to, to face them. Martin Luther said the only thing that a demon deserves is a sharp, quick look. And we can either become too obsessed over demons or negligent in the sense that we don't think they actually even exist or appear among us. So, so we have that balance, and we understand that the world in which we live uh, is a, a world that also has a spiritual dimension. And we take notice of that and try to live responsibly. Let me just pause and just call out if you say, okay, but here's a question I've always had about demons. Say it short enough so we don't have to come with a microphone or just say, okay, that's enough. Carry on. Questions? Yo. So mental illness, physical illness are not evidence of demons, broadly speaking, but they can be. I mean, demons can bring mental illness, they can bring physical illness, but it is inappropriate to attribute to a demonic influence all of the illnesses and sicknesses that come our way. There is a continuum between physical health, mental health, and the, the involvement or the presence of demons. Satan will never leave a person alone when he is down or when she is down. He will pile on. And so if you are afflicted in your mind, it is altogether likely that Satan will also come into your mind expecting that he may get some traction in your life because your thinking is already cloudy. And so we find that there's a lot of, of conflict in people with mental illness that it gets very religious in the way it's uh, expressed. And um, I had a, a professor who was a psychiatrist, and he said it's like um, this continuum, not either or, but both and, 
um, that when we are afflicted, we will also be afflicted spiritually. But we are wrong when we say, oh, you have cancer, that's caused by a demon, or you have mental illness, you have schizophrenia, that's the same thing as being afflicted by a demon. Not so. Um, we carefully delineate between the two. Great question. Yes. Yeah, I think we, we do need to understand that we, we, Satan and demons come where they think they're welcome. And so if I dabble in, and it's not that we need to be scared stiff of, I mean, I, I grew up being told that don't use playing cards because they're the cards of the devil, right? How many remember being told that? Um, we, my kids were, were playing cards in church, and an elder walked past, and he just sort of looked at them and raised his eyebrows and walked away. And I thought, oh, my goodness, there goes my credibility for sure, right? But, but Ouija boards, things that do understand that they are trifling with, with dark forces, it's just dumb. Why, why would you do that when there are more wholesome ways to function and be entertained? Um, and obviously, when we, um, when we deal with someone who is afflicted by a demon, we will often begin by asking the question, where do you think that demon got permission to get in your life? What were you doing? Um, what realm of entertainment were you uh, trafficking in that basically gave a green light? Um, so we're not afraid of demons. The weakest Christian is stronger than the most powerful demon that will appear on, because of the blood of Christ. Um, and we often um, just sort of test it out when people will come and they think they might be afflicted by a demon. And um, quite easily, we will just pray with that person and speak to a demon if there is one there. We don't do it carelessly. I've seen a person uh, be thrown from the distance of the kitchen to the, the sidewalk because they were careless in trying to deal with demons. Um, so they're not to be trifled with, but they're not to be overestimated as well. And we're not to be living in kind of terror of their presence and their effect in our lives. Um, I, I, I love, honestly, that in many cultures that, that they would look at us in, with kind of amusement when we're horrified by the existence of demons or the presence of demons. And they will testify that, you know, already today they've, dealt with a demon and send it away. And it's, it's, it's my, Kofi, my friend Kofi's uh, African laugh at me saying, mm -hmm. that's it. Cool. Anything else? Good deal. So what I wanted to do was say today that um, the synergy between prayer and fasting is really powerful and palpable in, in the Christian life. And we're not told why um, the two work together. I think we can surmise why they work together. And I went and did you know, lots of searches to say, who, how, how many reasons are people citing that prayer and fasting um, are synergistic effectives? And, and most of the things that theologians and observers are saying are kind of obvious to us. They're obvious even in these last few weeks as we have tried to understand. Um, first of all, our, our existence as material beings in the 
present and into the future, um, our proper relationship in our human bodies, how we understand sin in our bodies, how we understand that we are dead to sin, and that one of the ways that we trigger um, the death to sin is by saying no to our bodies. And that's why fasting becomes a really key dynamic um, when we're actually saying no to the things that we think we want or desire in the body. And when the body is under the mastery of the Holy Spirit, um, in those times of prayer and fasting, we can unleash the power of who we truly are in Christ. We can enjoy who we truly are, uh, even in this material existence, as we fully expect um, a complete resurrection after this life, um, when sin will have no part in, in us or in uh, the existence that we have. Fasting and praying, just so that you realize it, they are coupled in many situations. In Luke 2, um, this is a reference to Anna, who was a widow until she was 84. She never left, left the temple, but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. Another example is about the separation of Paul and, and Barnabas. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Back in the Old Testament, Daniel says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. And finally in Ezra, so we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. So without explaining um, anything beyond what we can imagine or surmise, um, we are told that fasting and praying belong together, and there's a synergistic effect that will not be accomplished uh, either by fasting alone or by praying alone. You can pray and not fast, you can fast and not pray, but when you do both, um, and it becomes, I think, pretty much intuitive that they feel like they belong together. Um, because when you fast, um, don't you first of all end up talking to God saying, why do I have to do this? Why does this hurt so much? Um, what is it that I want? Why am I persisting in this discipline? Um, when I could just go and do other things with my time and, and they would be more fulfilling, uh, in, in my thinking anyway, in, in this time. So just as we kind of round to this, why fast and pray? I think there are two reasons that are really the summary of all the reasons that we might cite as we um, remember the things we have learned together and the things that we are learning together in communities. First of all, we fast and pray to hear God. Um, there is something in that synergy that says we will hear God speaking to us more definitely and more clearly than we would otherwise. How does that make sense? It makes sense that we are physically more attentive, more alert. We are spiritually more attentive, more alert. Um, we are listening in this posture of, God, I have said no because I'm really serious about the things I'm talking to you about. I'm not going to be doing the other things that I would be doing today because I really want to hear from you. And it's almost as though God is saying, are you sure you really want to hear from me? And he wants to hear us answer, yes, we do. And I told you the story of Fred a few weeks ago. 
And in, in our praying for Fred, the thing that we prayed first of all was, God, tell us whether or not you intend to bring healing to Fred. So we had elders who for a weekend fasted and prayed to hear God. Um, I told you that at the early parts of Fred's disease, we invited him to have the elders pray for him. He didn't feel that God was leading him there. But he did come to the point, finally, of agreeing for us to pray for him because the doctor had told him uh, a new treatment might give him three more months. We prayed and asked God, do you want to heal Fred? We based that on James and James citing Elijah as an example of diligent prayer. Remember it? Elijah said, um, or James holds up Elijah and says, he was a man just like us. But he asked God to stop the rain. And God did stop the rain. And we wonder, why did God stop the rain? God stopped the rain because Elijah knew he would. He had a foreknowledge that God would stop the rain. How? Because God had said, if you go whoring after other nations, I will stop the rain. And Elijah said, that's what they're doing. Please stop the rain. It's a little bit more complicated than that. But they were able to pray um, for the healing of someone in James's situation um, where they had a foreknowledge. So when we are asked to pray as elders for someone's healing, we will often sequester ourselves as elders and say, fast and pray and ask God to give you an indication, is it his purpose um, to heal this person? With Fred, we and he discerned, because his symptoms returned after three months exactly, we discerned and Fred discerned that God's intention was not to heal him, but to let him teach us how to die properly. And so he didn't receive the uh, three months that would come from a new regimen of drugs, he received the three months that God said, if I wanted to heal you, watch. And immediately when we prayed, with the confidence of the fastening, um, he was symptom-free for three months to the day until the symptoms returned and Fred prepared to die. We fasted to hear God. The other thing, as you would imagine, is we fast to be heard by God. Um, it's, it's like we are... The, the, the little children who are tugging on our mom's coat or our dad's coat, saying, daddy, 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 or mommy, mommy, mommy. Now, in our um, frailty as humans, we will say, stop doing that. God won't. Like, he wants to know, are we serious? And so we are tugging on his coat, saying, father, 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 father. I'm not going to eat until you listen to me unless I can sense that you're listening to me. So I'm fasting and praying so that you will hear me. So if we wonder, as many of us do, if God is actually hearing our prayers um, or if God is actually talking to us, um, why not go to fasting and prayer as a couple and say, I'm going to do these things together on this regular basis, so that during this period of time, I can hear what you are saying to me with a clear mind and heart, and you can hear what I'm saying to you um, because I have a pure heart in the intent. In the process, many times, what we begin to pray for, we let go of and say, that's really not what I want. That's really not what 
it seems now God would be honored by. And so I, I, I shift, I, I adjust the things that I have begun to pray for. But the little magic part of all of this through the scriptures is that they belong together. And when they do, there's a synergy that will affect more than they could alone.